Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Today, we host Peggy Mango, the Senior Vice President of Innovation at Wells Fargo. Thanks for joining us today, Peggy. Thanks for having me. So, um, I wish we could actually do this in, in, in person, but, um, well, you know, we are where we are right now. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, what you've done before, because you had quite an interesting um, twist and turn, I would say, you know, uh, different gigs at different places and uh, how you end up at Wells Fargo where you are right now and what you're focusing on. Thanks. Um, thanks for the opportunity and, you know, really uh, wanted to, to be here today to talk about kind of fintech trends broadly, um, some of what I've learned through these different roles. Um, and so, you know, thank you very much for having me. So. Um, when I look at my career, um, it's, I, I identify kind of three themes, right? So, you know, one is scrappy, um, uh, opportunistic, and then intentional. And when I think about it, the, the scrappy in the beginning, really, we're all, it's all about like survival, like trying to, you know, get a job, figure out like who you are and where you fit, uh, in this world. Right. So, um, as we progress in our roles, um, I think it's important to be then transitioned to being like opportunistic, right? Go where there's growth, go where there's opportunity, go where you can find a way to align your uh, interest and, and God, hopefully your passion with opportunities in the world, right? Uh, and then the last one is intentionality. So to, to the extent that, you know, the three of us are fortunate now where we can be intentional uh, with the roles and the projects and the people and the network that we surround ourselves, um, I think drives to a lot of, uh, you know, professional gain, but also uh, really like personal sense of, of accomplishment and belonging. Um, and so uh, I will, I, I was, I'll talk about like three kind of turning points in my career. So number one was working at Visa. Working at Visa really cemented my love for payments and for financial services. Like I was, I, I, I like to joke, like I was surrounded by these payment geeks and payment nerds, right? And talk about like interchange and discount rates and, you know, uh, merchant acquire, issue acquire. You're like, wow, this is like a whole world I had no idea about. Um, and so that I felt happy that I had found something that I really wanted to double down on. Um, and then the second turning point in my career, and, and trust me, this leads me to Wells, and this leads me to what I'm working on. <laughs> um, the second turning point in my career was working at Google. And um, Google was a, a cultural transformation for me um, because I was ingrained in a culture of intellectual honesty and collegial debate, right? There was no taking orders from the top. Um, you as a team were, forming and informing the product strategy and the go-to-market. And then, and, and it really ingrained that sense of ownership, that sense of like, let's, let's debate it out, let's talk it out, let's whiteboard it out so we're all on the same page so that we're all aligned. Um, and then of course, the, uh, another huge turning point was Spark Gift, uh, starting my own company, Y Combinator, you know, really just dumping myself in the deep end and being scared and having to learn um, you know, learn about company building, formation, fundraising, marketing, product development, you know, organizational building, team building, um, incredible learning experience. And I truly get it why 
it's easier to fundraise as a second and third time founder, not as a first time founder. <laughs> um, and then, you know, really th th that led me to Wells and Wells uh, was the, Wells Fargo was the, the culmination of this startup and this big company, right? And, and my, um, when I initially arrived, my desire was, I wanna help these lar large organizations really understand what is happening in the FinTech world on the technology side, on the agile side, on the uh, customer experience value exchange side, uh, so that I can help influence these large companies to deliver better experiences to their large, large customer base. Um, so that's really how I ended up with, with Wells. I was very fortunate uh, to end up there. And then my focus now is I have two focused areas. One is on the consumer side, um, consumer front end, uh, I would say, what are the new banking experiences that we want to deliver to our consumers um, and small businesses. And then the second is on the back end. It's um, it, platformization, or that's that's a silly word, but you know how how do we uh, better identify and risk manage our uh, consumers and small business, particularly around onboarding? So how do we get more people through the funnel faster in real time so that they can start doing business with us? So let's let's go back to one of those um, three turning points that you talked about, because I think that's when I first met you um, was when you were sort of transitioning from Google into your first role as an entrepreneur um, on your own doing Spark Gift. And I, I was trying to think back at the, at the sort of connecting points. And I think it was Billy Robbins who originally might have introduced us because Billy seemed to have known everybody in the world back then and, and likely still does. Um, but I haven't talked to Billy in a little while, which gives, gives me another person we should probably talk to in the podcast. Um, we met a couple times and it was both in coffee shops. And one of those times is when I was meeting Theo for maybe the first or second time and you actually met her. And so we were going back through this thread about, you know, when all of this started, think about that. I mean, four years ago, you were coming out of Google, going into, you know, your first entrepreneurship role in Sparkit. Um, Talk about that transition a little bit more, a little bit more deeply about what you learned. So um, the, the transition was very scary, but what made it easier was the, really the, the timing and the momentum. So I'm sure both of you have had periods in your life where everything starts to fall in place and, and the answer starts to form itself um, almost on its own. So. We, I, I had been, um, I had been working on the idea for about a year. I was always very passionate about the idea that it should be easy, uh, fun, and affordable to give investments as gifts. We we spend too much on consumerism. You know, people should be funneling some of this these these funds into longer term investments because everyone benefits when you do. Um, so then, what started to happen is I I just I talked about the pitch with a former colleague. I, and then the ball started rolling. She got excited about it. She was a former colleague at Google. She got very excited about it. She said, we should do it. We should apply to Y Combinator. Um, she had a good friend who was dying to start a new company who became our CTO. Uh, we got into Y Combinator. We, um, 
we met with Folio uh, investing and they were, I mean, I had a conversation with them on Christmas Eve. They were willing to like bring us on the platform as quickly as possible. So it, it felt like, okay, this is what we have to do. We have to give it the shot. Um, and so, you know, and, and the Y Combinator part helped. It was less scary if you had that backing and that support network. Um, but, uh, and, and let me talk a little bit about what we were trying to do. Um, so the concept of Spark Gift and Stockpile is simple, right? So make it easy, fun, and affordable to give investments as gifts. And in doing so, you can create a whole new segment of savior, savers and investors. You, you, you make the pie bigger, right? Um, and really founding Spark Gift was very mission-based for me in that I truly wanted to create a tool to help more people save and invest in, at an early age. Um, we supported fractional shares, so you didn't have to have thousands of dollars to invest in, you know, Amazon or Google. And you know what we learned, or you know, one of the things that we learned is that financial gifting is hard for two reasons. Like KYC is one, and we thought we did a really elegant job of managing KYC in the onboarding process. And we gave the gift first, so you kind of had that, like, wow, I have it. And then you do KYC later, which is similar to how um, uh, how Square. Is, is doing it as well. Like you get that kind of endorphin and then you're asked the KYC boring questions. Um, but the second one around financial gifting is very cultural, right? So Americans are consumer beasts, right? They're trained at an early age to spend and spend and spend. Um, and you know, this isn't the case in Asia where in 2017, WeChat customers sent over 47 billion digital red envelopes for Chinese New Year. Right, that's you know, it's culturally ingrained to give and receive financial gifts as a gift, right? And so I, I believe that cultural norms will change in the U.S. to 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 embrace um, financial gifting, uh, but I think it's going to take some time, and I think it's going to take some creativity from the financial services industry and the investing industry for sure. So it, it, it's actually interesting, uh, Peggy, you mentioned the cultural aspect of it, and, and I kept nodding my head as they were talking because um, it starts literally when you were born. So when we have newborns, um, I remember when I, when I had my first son um, almost 11 years ago now, and I'm used to giving cash and receiving cash, right? That, that's culturally because it's, it's practical, it's something you can save. And I was overwhelmed when people were like, oh, no, you need to register for, you know, for baby showers. I'm like, no, I do not do baby showers. That is awkward. Um, and people were like, well, you know, so what do you want to put in your registry? What registry? I, I, I'm going to get diapers and I'll get him clothes and that's all I need. I don't need anything more. So so it's ingrained. You're right in our culture. You know, birthdays, holidays is always cash is money. It's something that you have control over, but like you say, also is from a financial literacy perspective. We got trained early on that, you know, this is what you do and this is how you build up your life. So that aspect of it is, is, is really, really different. So when I think about culture, um, one of the things I do also think about is the culture of companies that we interact with, what they represent and how they go about in improving financial well-being of consumers. That's one of the passion that we have. And so that naturally brings us to Amex is one of the companies that, that we've been working with. And it's also 
I believe the last time that we met you in person, that was that was an MX event. Right. So um, it, it's great that you know to know that we all have mutual companies that that we admire. So curious to know um, what other companies that have inspired you within the space in the last few years. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Like we uh, we are aligned in the financial health space. That's part of um, what I love about MX. Um, they're, they're, uh, they consistently reinforce their mission as to why they're in the business. They're in the business to uh, create better financial outcomes for consumers, right? To change, to change the world through that. And I, and I, I believe in that mission as well. So uh, your question was surrounding what other companies that I'm uh, excited about or have been inspired by. And again, I, I, I have three, I have companies in three stages. So the first stage is the very early, uh, early stage fintechs. And this area that I'm very excited about is um, family banking. And what I mean by family banking, that is, is, that is banking products and services that involve parents and children initially, and maybe even parents and grandparents, but um, banking experiences that enable uh, parents and children to bank together, right? So today it's such early innings for this, for this industry and I'm so excited about it. Um, I am an investor in Till Financial, uh, which is, is building this type of bank. Um, but when you look at the, the, you know, the, gen the next generation, the Generation Z, um, children, teens, and even young adults, they need banking, they need a bank, right? And they need a debit card. They, they, they purchase, they buy, they make purchasing decisions. And if you do it right, you can influence and teach that those financial literacy or financial health lessons with the parents and, and young people together through these type of apps. So if you do it right, like, wow, you could create visuals that help them uh, save and spend and, and help them understand how much they have or you know what bills are coming up or what charities they wanna give to. Like there's so much that can be done. And if you do it early, um, you can have long lasting uh, benefits and, and better outcomes. So the, the second stage that I'm inspired by is what I call like the emerging giants. Um, so that would be Square and Square Cash. And the reason I'm, what I'm highlighting about Square Cash is their uh, proficiency and effectiveness in almost like social marketing, right? Like the, the Cash app has grown, the usage has grown so much. They've added crypto, they're, 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 they have added you know, fractional share investing. So they're meeting this next generation where they want to be and they're getting their message out in a very interesting way that I haven't seen a lot of the emerging giants do. Um, and then the, the last one is a more, I would call a more traditional FI that I have been um, inspired by, and that is Schwab. And the reason is um, they've really been leaning in on digital, right? So they have launched intelligent portfolios. They've slashed trading fees. They acquired TD. They're launching fractional shares imminently. Um, they acquired the mo Motif Tech. 
And then what I thought the two of you would be also excited about or would align with me on is um, they're also launching an intelligent income tool, which helps, which digitally helps like retirees understand how much they should be taking out. So it's like the post investing, it's the withdrawal period. Um, so I just, I, I find that like um, exciting and demonstrable actions uh, coming from, from Schwab. So it's super interesting case study, I think. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. So let's let's talk about you know one of those you brought up a few times, um, Motif Investing and Folio. Folio was the first to sort of enable um, the ability to do fractional shares, and that really kind of took a a front seat to your creating Spark Gift and enabling right. this idea of of people owning more um, equities. So when when you think about you know those type of of lessons. Uh, from these companies, you know, again, Motif being acquired and sort of shutting down its portfolio and Folo being acquired. Um, Where do you you think this is going to go? I mean, based on the three things that you just were saying that you were inspired by, uh, are more people going to be, you know, truly saving, truly investing, truly more financial, uh, financially well uh, in the coming decade? So that's a, that's a great question. I think um i'll start with like the stat uh of how many people are in how many people own stock so today 52 percent own stock which is down from a high of 66 percent in 2007 and um you know in the work that i did with spark gift i was trying to bring we were trying to bring more people in you know looking at interesting ways to increase that percentage um and you know, motif, uh, motif was also like provided an interesting experience, making investing less scary. Right? You can invest thematically. You can align your own affinity to how you invest. And so I feel aligned with motif in that they were trying to bring more people in um, through their unique perspective. Um, what to answer your question, I think we're in a moment right now. Um, well, well, you know, obviously Robinhood is having a moment, right? And um, they are almost a cultural phenomenon at this point. Um, and they, I think over time, we will see that the cultural phenomenon of Robinhood at this time has increased that 52%. It's brought more people in. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of done with the naysayers that say, oh, they're gambling. They shouldn't be doing, you know, they don't know the risks. Okay, you know, how risky is it to spend, you know, maybe they spent $200 at the bars. Now that, that, that $200 is being invested in Robinhood, they're learning a little bit. The worst that could happen is they lose it, yes, but that is, you know, potentially money that would have been spent, not saved, right? So like, 
Robinhood is being successful, I think, at bringing more people into saving and investing. And sure, when you have, when you're only, you know, when you when you're only, when you're investing small amounts, you you could lose a lot. But I think there's a lot to be gained in winning, losing, and learning. That is that then is going to help you learn about ETFs and potentially robo models and 401ks and Roth and IRA, right? And all these other things that, that those initial uh, excitement of stock trading can help you do. Um, so I am, I am always hopeful and I'm always uh, glass half full that we're going to bump that number up over time. It's it's interesting when you when we think about investing, right? Um, if we look at the numbers lately, there's always been updates on how wages have been stagnant for the last recent years, but how the gap has been growing. And I would suspect that the reason part of that gap is probably due to, like what you were saying, there are people that own stocks, and that stock market has enabled them to accumulate wealth. Um, that others had not been able to. Um, so, so I, I think, you know, enabling or democratizing or giving different ways of people to get into the market is important um, to help them build up the wealth. And also, like you say, to help them learn how things work and, you know, hopefully become more literate as, as we, as we move. Um, and, and it brings me to, to something else. I remember the, one of the first entrepreneurs on that a long time ago, um, she also started a similar company, it, her idea, and, and she was, um, she was Vietnamese ethnicity. And she said, you know, growing up, she saw how hard it is for people to get into the market, like what you were saying, if you don't have a lot of wealth. And so she started a company like that with the exact same philosophy. And over the last few years, I've seen a lot of female entrepreneurs. I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, minority entrepreneurs that are coming in and trying to get into the space. One thing that you just said earlier about having the backing of Y Combinator, being associated with a brand, having a community there to support you is, is interesting and is helpful. Not everyone have access to it, right? I think that was one of the struggles we have seen um, is that there are a lot of great ideas, a lot of great people everywhere, but somehow to be able to give them the opportunity um, to have access and to be able to successful has been really, really tough. What do you think we need to do in our space to make it more welcoming, to make it more inclusive? So I think that was probably, that's one of the most challenging questions um, because I don't have, I, there is no silver bullets. And so I think that like thematically it's, being more intentional as to reaching out and lifting up. And, and I, I know like both of you have done so much for me over the years, um, made time, made so many introductions, um, you know, helped me on Twitter. Um, like, you know, and all of those, like I, all of those matter and I remember all of them. And so, um, and I think a lot of what has really helped me has has been um, the network, the connections, the making introductions, the taking the time to say, I would like you to meet this person. They have a unique perspective on family banking. They also care about family banking, for example. 
or they have integrated with Folio in the past. So I think what we have to continue to do is broaden um, the network of you know, male and female leaders and then double down on being more intentional to bring people into the network. Um, you know, I, I think for, and that's really hard to quantify. Um, it's hard to set goals on that. Um, I think over time to the extent, uh, it's easier to network if we have more uh, female and minority leaders at the top. So on the boards, um, senior leaders as the investors for some of these large fintechs, then you have more influential people that can bring more people in. But, but you know, the, the non-minority partners and the non-female um, partners uh, can be just as, as effective and just as important. I think one of the things that um, this pandemic especially is sort of showing to society is this growing inequality. And, you know, when we talk about the percentage of funding that goes to non-white males, or we talk about the types of solutions, whether it be in FinTech or other things that Silicon Valley is sort of pushing out, um, it sort of is, is mirroring um, that sort of white male perspective, which is part of the problem. And to your point, we need to change the who's that are sitting on boards and the who's that are executives and the who's that are product folks. Um, when we think about financial wellness and gender inequity and gaps in healthcare and income and how right now the, the very nature of work is changing, how should, should banks, large banks, mid-sized banks and fintechs and others sort of in the space and payments and everywhere else, how should they really think about, you know, those things that are coming up in the next decade? What were the biggest opportunities? Where can we make the most impact? I believe that there, a lot of the solutions are already there. They already exist. It's just, they're not deployed widespread. So if you look at how a individual or a family or a small business they have income and they have expense, right? So it's, it shouldn't be that complicated to help them understand digitally through the app, through the visualizations, how much they have, where their money's going, where their opportunities are to cut expenses, where their target savings and retirement rates should be, what their goals are, like the, all of that, that exists. It's just, we haven't deployed it in a widespread manner. And I think that that will, that will happen um, it's going to take some time. And I, I, I used this analogy once, which I thought was, I don't, I don't know, you might think it's dumb, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, remember when we wrote checks? We wrote checks and we had the ledger and we wrote things down and we balanced it at the end. Like, I actually only have this much left because the check needs to clear, right? We haven't, tr we haven't even translate, translated the basics of moving from a paper-based to a digital payment space. We haven't even done that bare minimum as an industry to say, you have this ACH going out. That means you, you know, that's going out in a couple of days. That means you actually only have this, right? Right, Th that's very basic. Um, so that's kind of the, the question on what we can do as an industry. And I think there's just so much opportunity to, to make all this completely obvious, right? It shouldn't be complicated, obvious. But um, 
kind of to the broader point is what you were talking about, like healthcare, income equality, you know, gig worker protections. Like there's a there's a very big kind of political um, uh, leadership opportunity that all industries, I think, have a responsibility for. Um, and I, I've used this, I've referenced this quote a lot. It's from Mark Benioff. Um, and, you know, what, what he has said before is that like CEO activism is not a leadership choice, but a modern and evolving expectation, right? So meaning that like we, we have to expect of, of our private sector to be raising their hands on behalf of, you know, our country, our employees, our stakeholders, our customers, quite frankly, um, to, to move to the change that we need uh, as a country. So there's that too. So is this the time that I can um, come out and say, I actually just wrote a check last week. <laughs> I, I still do. And, um, and, and it just goes to show like as quote unquote advanced um, of a society we live in, there are still basics, like you say, that we haven't solved for. Because there was no other way that I can send money to my nanny who is not physically here. Right, I, right. I can't give her cash. So the only means that she has is a check. So I just keep sending checks every week. Um, should there be an easier way? Yes, absolutely. If I tell my friends in Hong Kong I'm still writing checks, they would probably laugh at me. Um, and, and I used this analogy um, a couple of weeks ago. I was literally at a bank ATM getting cash out from one of my accounts and then putting the cash in at the same bank, a different account, because that was the only way I could transfer money, either that or writing myself a check. So oh my God. there you have it. And it is a big bank. We're not going to name names. Um, so let's just say we have ways to go. Um, if I have a crystal ball, I would say probably 10 years from now, that bank is still going to be like that. Um, what about you? Peggy's crystal ball. Um, what would you be doing once we get out of the house? Yeah, so I, you know, I am fortunate to, like I said, to have found an industry um, that I love, that I care about, that I think I can, you know, working with wonderful, my wonderful network, like the both of you, I felt, I feel like we can influence change. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what the next 10 years um, has in store for us as an industry. I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, but I hope to I hope to continue some of the um, like I, I like I like the big small kind of balance that I get to play right now. So I get to work with uh, I'm fortunate to work with some startups either uh, in you know as a investor or advisor or just making connections and introductions. So I love that uh, piece. But um, there's also you know I alluded to earlier there's a part of me that. It, I think that we'll always continue to strive for those big jobs because those people are the people that can uh, affect change, right? The, the, the leaders in the private sector, senior leaders um, are in a position to affect change within their own organization, within their industry. So that is um, an area that I will probably continue to focus on, but it will all It'll all, I think financial health will obviously be a very strong theme going forward. That's awesome. Well, until then, we will see you on Twitter world. And uh, we love seeing the pictures of you exercising outside or just, you know, the smile. It just, 
It helps. Yeah. So thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today, Peggy. Hopefully yes. next time when we see you, it will be oh, in person. I can't wait. I miss you both. <laughs> Thank, thank you so you. much. Same thank you. Thanks, Good to see you, thank my friend. You. Thank you. Bye. And thank you for listening for a new episode of One Vision.